October 25, 1997, did Don crash into the Gulf? Letter to Detective Lingo and Fernandez. Doug Edwards said that he tried to run this theory of his past me when Don first disappeared, but apparently I didn't pay close enough attention to him because it makes a lot of sense. This is his scenario. Don finds an experimental plane for sale, and the non-local person selling it has built it in their garage, so it's not properly licensed or equipped, or perhaps the owner is not licensed, and he decides to meet Don somewhere close to our home so Don can try it out. Don, or maybe the seller, doesn't want anyone to see him leaving the airport, so they make it for early light. Don likes the plane and decides to buy it, so he pays the guy and flies the seller home. Don wouldn't care about a title search or paperwork, and a bill of sale could have been with him. If the guy lived in the panhandle, Don would fly straight across the gulf, just like we always did to avoid that weather balloon in Cross City. This isn't in there, but it was like, this was the most irrational fear that we both had flying. It was that freaking weather balloon. <laughs> I can't explain why that was such a freakish... You just you couldn't see the chain holding that thing, and it was like, I don't want to be anywhere near that. Plus, it was calmer out over the gulf. Back to the actual written diary. We were completely out of fuel on the last trip we made across the Gulf, but just kept flying and praying until we landed. Maybe Don wasn't this lucky this time. Depending on how far he went and the tank capacity of what he was flying and the accuracy of the gauges, this is pretty feasible. I've thought something similar out time and time again, but I was always thinking that if Don crashed over the Gulf, he was practicing with the plane because the air is so much more stable there. I hadn't thought about him flying low because the plane itself might be illegal, and I hadn't thought about a water crash being due to low fuel. Doug Edwards' twist on my theories is this. Three days after the sale, the plane's creator slash owner hears that Don Lewis is missing and his van is found at the airport where this person has met Don. Fearing the worst, the guy keeps quiet and stays glued to the news to find out if his plane is ever connected to Don in any way. This guy can't come forward because he can't explain to the authorities something about himself or the plane. Since he's already been paid, even if the connection is somehow made to him, he is far enough away that he can't claim ignorance of Don's disappearance. Meanwhile, he finds out that Don was worth a fortune. Now he's really scared because he can see the liability mounting up, and he gets real quiet about whatever became of that plane. This is the first theory that I haven't been able to see holes in. My dad has had a similar theory, but that the seller was connected to the airport, maybe even Dewey Gallup himself, since my dad says he was thrown out of Tampa International for flying such junk heaps in the air. This would explain why Dewey changing his story, this would explain Dewey changing his story about when the van arrived and what tag was on it. Had the van been left at the parking lot right in front of the door, then Gallup couldn't have said they didn't know when it was left. Being a tall guy, he may have moved the seat to move the van to the grass behind the FBO so that it would be less obvious that the van had been left unattended. To keep from being too obvious, when Don didn't come back as planned, he would then have called and reported an abandoned vehicle. Now, I don't know what the story was that changed, <laughs> so I wish I had recorded what both of his stories were, but this is, this is what I've got. And then this um, screenshot that you see 
is actually from 2019. I added it in 2019 and it was the last time that I had seen Doug Edwards. I was looking for his contact info and couldn't find anything for him in 2019. This was a post that I had posted to our Big Cat Rescue group on Facebook and it says, sorry there wasn't a walkabout last night. A walkabout, there's two things we call walkabout. One is wild, wildcat walkabout, which is the one day a year that we have hundreds of people come to the sanctuary for four hours. The other thing that we call the walkabout is like at night I would go around and I'd do a walk about the sanctuary and talk while we went live. And so I said, sorry there wasn't a walkabout last night. I ran out of light due to a previous volunteer calling me up to the gift shop after he finished the 3 p.m. tour. It was great to see the wonder in Doug Edwards' face at the way the place has progressed since he left 20 years ago. I told Doug that I think of him often in the context of tours because he was the first person to say, you could charge people to come here. When I protested that people would just get themselves hurt, he offered to walk around with them, and that was the beginning of our guided tours back in 1995 when we had our first 43 visitors. And then the next, this part that I'm reading next was part of the letter to the detectives. Tim Bingston arrived in Tampa today to help look for Don. He's a bounty hunter. He has checked the prisons in Costa Rica and had an associate begin checking in Nicaragua. I offered him $100,000 to find Don alive, or in the worst case, to convict Don's killers. I asked him to come up with an hourly figure in the event that Don is found dead by his own doing. And then this is also from 2019, August the 2nd, 2019 is when I found, I started looking around for some of these people. So Tim Bangston um, was in this guy's, I don't know what this is, maybe a Instagram or a Facebook or a Twitter post. And he refers to Tim Bangston, which of course it, I thought it was him, but it's been 20 years. And then he mentions that he was a bounty hunter and a tiger trainer. So I was pretty sure this was the same Tim Bingston. And the reason that I had chosen Tim was that he, this isn't in here, but um, he was somebody who actually had been a volunteer before and knew Don. And so it would be much easier for somebody who actually knew Don and knew some of his uh, idiosyncrasies that might be able to find him better than a complete stranger. And then this is back to the letter to the detectives. A question you asked me that I don't feel I answered was whether I would benefit from Don's disappearance. From a personal standpoint, the answer is an obvious no. He is my lover and my best friend and has been all of my adult life. From a religious standpoint, he is my husband and my only sexual partner I've had for eight or nine years and the only one I can have while I'm legally married to him, which could be another five to seven years. If I wanted a new partner, I would not have elected to be held in limbo for five to seven years. From a financial standpoint, if Don were to die, then I stood to gain all that we had together. Again, for Don to simply, for, again, for Don to be simply missing, I stood the risk of being in exactly the position I am in, which is to be under suspicion and not in control of our affairs, and to watch greed and malice destroy through the ensuing legal battles, all that we worked for. If I had something, if I had done something to Don for my own gain, I would have left a body in plain sight and an ironclad trail to anything or anyone but myself for me to gain anything. 